Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Would you pray with me, please? Come, Holy Spirit, enliven your word in us as we hear it this morning. Open our ears and our hearts to your call and your cry and the cry of those who cry out to you. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I want to welcome Father Bob Lawrence today. He'll be our celebrant, and he'll, he's assisting us today in worship. This is his church, too, but it's great to, to serve with him. I served with him at Camp St. Christopher for three and a half years, and it's kind of nice to be tag-teaming again. It's been a little while since we've been able to do that. I appreciate you, Bob. So I've been ordained almost 18 years now, and I've made it through this three-cycle lectionary that we have where we spread the readings across three different years from different gospels, different passages. And I've done this cycle now six times in 18 years. I have never heard this Old Testament reading read or preached on before, and I've not preached on it. So that kind of piqued my interest in in the passage from Exodus that we heard today, those brief seven verses. But I also realized I was drawn to it because it's me. It's all about me. (laughs) I'm a widow of almost 12 years now. I'm an orphan. My, My dad died many years ago. My mom died a year after my husband did. Talk about tough time, yes. And I'm a foreigner. (laughs) here I'm a foreigner anyway I'm from off and you probably know what that means I wasn't born here on the peninsula I was born in Pennsylvania but don't tell anybody because you know that makes me a Yankee and I I got plenty of uh, stories when I first moved to the south and I was ordained a priest and they reminded me a lot of how they hid the silverware in the ground to keep it from the Yankees during the Wawa so I, was, I knew my place, and I still know my place. <laughs> so I was drawn to this passage for some of those reasons, because I am without father or mother. I am a widow. I am a resident alien, as the scriptures call it. That got my attention. But more than that, I pray, oftentimes when I pray, I remind the Lord that I'm all three, and that he promised to take care of me because that's what the scriptures say. We'll be talking about that today. So this trio of people, this widows, orphans, resident aliens, sojourners, are listed so many times in the scriptures. They are placed under God's gaze and in God's protecting hand just 11 times in the book of Deuteronomy, let alone the prophets and even the New Testament. As scripture is our witness... I'm going to let you in on a secret. God does play favorites, okay? Widows, orphans, sojourners, and the poor. Over 200 scripture verses testify to God's preferential option for the weakest, the most vulnerable, 
those that are marginalized. And as one who emptied and humbled himself to take on our humanity, our Lord Jesus, becoming exposed and vulnerable, becoming a refugee and not from around here, one who had nowhere to lay his head, one who took on all our sin and sickness and grief, he knows our vulnerability. He knows our grief firsthand even going all the way down into dying and death in the grave. Death and the grave do not have the final word for Jesus, nor for us. And so would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 22. It's page 63 in your pew Bible, on your phone, your app, whatever. But let's follow along these few verses today. Page 63. These are instructions to the people of God. You shall not wrong a sojourner, a stranger, a resident alien. All of those words are used in different translations. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God's people knew what it was like to live as strangers in a strange land, to be uprooted, to be deported, exiled, to live as refugees, to sojourn all the way down into Egypt land as we sing and dwell there for 400 years, much of that time as oppressed and enslaved by the pharaohs who knew not Joseph. Fast forward to another Joseph in the New Testament, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. They had to flee their homeland as refugees to escape a king that was challenged by Jesus and wanted to kill him. And so God reminds his people, you know what it's like to be a sojourner, a resident alien. You're not just a guest passing through, but someone who is uprooted and then planted in a foreign land where you have no agency. You have no ancestral heritage. You have no relatives nearby where you are mistreated, mistrusted. You look and you act and you, you talk differently from the natives, a newcomer, an immigrant, a border crosser, somebody without rights based on birth or family. And one of the commentaries I read said this, although the ancient Near Eastern law codes stressed protection for the widow and the orphan, only Israel's contained legislation for the resident alien, for the person that was the sojourner, the foreigner, that they were rights for them, too, within the people of God. And it's abundantly clear that God's people must respond with attitudes and acts of compassion because, as God says to them, you know what it's like to be a foreigner, to be a stranger. Israel learned that God does hear the cries of those who are marginalized and victimized and oppressed because he heard their cries in Egypt. And as Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and loves the stranger, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So, who are the strangers 
today, the sojourners among us. I think those who are displaced because of natural disaster, wars, those who are homeless, those who have lost a job, those who flee from awful, desperate political conditions, or God forbid, but it's true, toxic church communities, those who make a break from unsafe homes, all who are newcomers, anyone seeking refuge or safety. Beloved, we must see them and welcome them and care about them and care for them, advocate for them and fold and include them. After all, our gospel lesson said today so plainly, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus insists on that. That's the second and great commandment. It's pretty straightforward, really. We're called to create a humanitarian corridor of welcome and care. So the next verse, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. The fatherless, or sometimes referred to in Scripture as the orphan, so close to God's heart that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling, says Psalm 68. Many times in the Old Testament, that is featured, as well as Psalm 27.10 that says this, even when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And how does the Lord take care of you? Through his body, through the brothers and sisters. A father in the ancient world provided for their children, much like fathers do today. But the wife, the children were so dependent on him that if he died, they had nothing. They had no recourse. They had no land. They had no advocacy. They were at the mercy of the community. And that's what's picked up in the scriptures. The loss of a father through death and war or accident or disease placed this children, these children and the widow in a desperate financial situation. And in the book of James, we hear this. Religious worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress. There are at least 153 million children in the world who are without one parent or both parents. That's a lot of people who are fatherless, who are orphans. These numbers don't even include the children who live in institutions or orphanages or on the streets. And within this cathedral community, this parish, we have families who have welcomed children into their homes through adoption and through fostering. And we seek to cultivate a culture of adoption among us with those who need support, like those who are single, those who are single again. <laughs> single parents especially, I don't know how you do it, God love you. With our children and our teens, to see them to advocate for them, to care for them, to welcome them in. While so many have responded to serving in our children's ministry and with our teens, there's always room for more hands. Both Zach and Hunter would tell you that for sure. We had a baptism here last Sunday. And if there's a point in the baptism after the godparents and parents say what they will do, 
the officiant turns to the congregation and says this to everyone, will you do all in your power to support this person in his life in Christ? And you say, we will. Except I always have the congregation do it twice because they never say it loud enough for me. We will. We will. Which means we will help raise them up. We will help form them in the faith. We will do whatever we can to support that effort because they're all our children. We adopt them all, whether you know that or not. They're our people too. They're our tribe. What about those who are wounded by brokenness in their own families? The ones who come, especially here, the ones we meet in our neighborhoods and in our streets and in our jobs, our workplaces. The ones who bear scars also from church families where they have been wounded and hurt. From leaders of faith communities who feel what it's like to be an orphan or marginalized in their own home or within the household of faith. I know that's some of your story some of you can we be family where it's safe to ask questions to name our doubts to hold the wounded stories of our siblings in christ to be people whose faces light up when you walk in the room that we care that much about you that we're delighted when we see you and what does that do for the person who receives that look it's quite a lift it's quite an embrace. It's a welcome. That's what the scriptures are calling us to do. When people come to our community groups, do we light up and welcome them in and say, just come among us and be? People come up for prayer at communion time in either of these chapels. They come and our faces light up when you come forward to receive prayer because you're putting yourself out there. You're being vulnerable before God and saying, I need help. Please pray for me. Or somebody I love needs help, please pray for them. It's always a place where you're welcome to come. And then many of us in our middle years are caring for aging parents in this season of life. We're walking with them through health concerns and scares and watching their ever-increasing fragility, even into those seasons of dying and death and grieving their loss. It's a tender place for a number of us in this season. I know that. How can we as family in Christ support you and uphold you? How can we reach out to you in ways that are helpful? I pray we do that. That's what the scriptures are calling us to do this day. And yes, the plight of widows does not escape God's notice either, and it shouldn't escape ours. In the Old Testament story of Ruth, who is a widow in her mother-in-law Naomi, also a widow who lost both of her sons. They come into Israel, back to Naomi's homeland, and they're cared for by the community around them in their poverty. And Ruth is able to glean in the fields. She takes what is left over on the margins because that's the practice of the people of God, to leave those margins unharvested so that the poor and the widows and the orphans can get what they need to at least eat some kind of sustenance. The loss of a spouse is so hard. You have to do everything for yourself. Trust me, I've learned a whole lot these last 12 years. All the bookkeeping, all the finances, the car, the house, the, yeah. But it's hard. It feels very vulnerable in that space. 
And so, beloved, we need to look out for those people among us who need that kind of assistance and offer, even before they ask, see them and see their need and come alongside them. I'm inviting you to do that today, and so are our scriptures. And how do we come alongside those who have children and who are single? Or just to be companions in the journey of life, to hold them well. And please, God, to make holidays and anniversaries a little bit more bearable. Those are tough times for those of us who are alone. Scripture goes on to say, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, says the Lord. It's a word of warning to those of us who do not care for, do not see those who are marginalized, who are in need. In fact, the scripture today, I don't even know what to do about this. It says that he will cut us down. He will kill us with the sword and he will make us fatherless and childless. I mean, it's pretty dire scripture. It's pretty dire consequences when we miss those around us who are in need. Or if we lend money and we expect to exact interest from a brother or sister, or if we take their cloak, the scripture says, in pledge for what they've borrowed, and we don't give it back by nighttime, they're going to be sleeping in the rough. They won't have their cloak, they won't have shelter. And so give the cloak back before nighttime. That's God's heart for people. That's the cry of the vulnerable neighbor. There's so many opportunities just within this faith community alone for us to care for one another and to see those who are in need and invite them in. Some of you do that so beautifully. I'm preaching to the choir, I know. I'm preaching to myself, too, in this. I need to hear this. One of the things I'd love to do is start for visits to people that are homebound or are in care facilities to bring them communion, to bring them a visit, to care for them. I'd love some people to work alongside me to do that. If you're interested, let me know. But in this city, there's so many other places we can help, just locally with our partners at Star Gospel Mission, because they'll be again doing their good cheer distribution very soon. Go on the website, check out that ministry. Let's support our partners in ministry in this city to care for those in need. Pretty soon we'll be making our appeal for the 3C Fund, the Cathedral Community Care Fund, that goes back out into the community to support so many people in their life. And then the Anglican and Relief and Development um, group that you can go on that website too and see all the projects that they're doing in the states and across the world to care for people who are in dire straits. Maybe God's calling you to partner in that work. But it's really fairly simple. When we ask as Cain did after he killed his brother Abel, remember that story? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? God's answer is, I hear your brothers or sisters cry, for I am compassionate. Beloved, God's plan to care for these ones is wrapped up in a compassionate community, in the body of Christ. That's us. And the scripture says God's, God sets the solitary in families. God makes homes for the homeless and leads persons into freedom. So yes, we are 
our brother's and our sister's keeper. There's no doubt about it. Maybe a picture will help, and I'll close with this. I just learned recently about redwood trees. I didn't know anything about them other than they're really tall and they're out on the West Coast, and I've never seen one up close and personal. But what I learned is this. They grow to more than 300 feet tall in their maturity. Their width can be as much as 20 feet or more at the base. They're majestic. They're beautiful. They're ancient. They're stately. And they look powerful from the ground up. And they come from just a fragile seed, no bigger than a tomato seed. But imagine a 35-foot story building. That's what they can grow to in their height. But their roots are very shallow. The roots are only maybe 10 to 13 feet deep, but they extend widely to 60 to 80 feet are some estimates. They're a wonder that they remain standing through high winds, through storms, through floods, that they last hundreds of years. How do they do it? Not alone. They are literally set in families. New growth takes place in family circles, in concentric circles around the parent tree. Those roots go down and they intertwine with one another and they nourish one another. They help to support the sick and the weak and the ones who are older. They are stronger together. That's the divine design for redwoods and for us. For those among us who are widows and orphans and strangers, which includes every single one of us at one point in our life or another. And we are also called at all points in our lives to see them and to care for them. I'm going to close with a song. No, I won't sing to you. <laughs> You're spared. <laughs> but you may know this song. Just listen to the words. Will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are travelers on the road. We are here to help each other, to walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace that you long to hear. When we sing to God in heaven, we shall find such harmony, born of all we've known together, of Christ's love and agony. So will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too.